Hello and welcome to another episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein. And Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got another great episode for you. It was an action-packed conference championship Sunday. Uh, In fact, it was the biggest conference championships uh, weekend in PropSwap history in terms of volume. So uh, it was just a, a great weekend all around, close games, comebacks. Uh, and it sets up what will be uh, another epic matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers. Uh, we will get into that matchup coming up later. Uh, but first, I thought we would talk about the, the two games. And uh, I wanted to start with the, the second game first, the night game, the, the Lions 49ers game, obviously, um, set, you know, setting records in terms of biggest comeback uh, in conference championship history. Uh, the Niners once again uh, completed comeback after doing it against the Packers. After uh, it had been talked about, you know, Kyle Shanahan his record with you know losing going into the into the fourth quarter, but the Forty Niners uh, complete the the seventeen point comeback, and uh, it was like I said, uh, a crazy game up and down on uh, on prop swap. But before I get into the sales, just kind of wanted to talk about the the game for a second. I, I feel like. Uh, immediately after the game, the chatter was all about Dan Campbell's decisions to go forward on fourth down and how, you know, how those were the wrong decisions. But now I feel like within 24 hours, it has been that. And then now it's flipped to, you know, he's done it all season long. You know, the, the most amount of fourth down attempts, you know, I think they were 17 for 20, uh, when, when going forward on fourth, like fourth and short on the opponent's territory, uh, something to that effect. And now it's kind of more so just on the drops and the fumbles, and you know maybe the 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 worst coach decision was running it uh, and then having to burn a timeout late in the fourth quarter, down ten. Um, so, what were what was your takeaway? Did did the Forty ers win the game, or or did the Lions lose the game? Um, you know I. I suppose I could argue that the Niners won the game in the second half Uh, to answer your, the original debate of which do I think it is the bad clock management, bad, you know, optimization of fourth down conversion or bad execution. The latter, I, what being aggressive got this team here and Dan Orlovsky and Pat McAfee are going back and forth all day long about it. I, I had it on in the background when I was working and it seems like it boiled down to, the Lions offense is better than their defense. So let's take some risks on offense to capitalize on that advantage that they have. And I completely agree with that. They, it's what got them there. Yes, there were drops. Yes, there was bad execution and you got to live and die with it. So I'm, I'm on board with all that. Completely agree with you. The worst decision I saw Dan make was uh, running a run play on that third down and having to burn a timeout. I think that was the biggest, the thing I would disagree with most, but that's what got in there. I'm at peace with that. You're going up against a juggernaut. You're a 300, you know, plus 300 money line dog going into this game. It's in California. They're a more talented roster than you are. Roll the dice. It sucks. You got to live and die in the sword. But um, that's, I, I'm, I'm more on the execution side being mismanaged. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Reynolds dropping, you know, mm-hmm. dropping one of those, uh, conver- you know, fourth down conversions was, was huge. Um, I think the 
the turning point, and I, I'd be curious when you when you what you thought the turning point was, but I thought the turning point was when Jameer Gibbs fumbled the ball. Uh, yeah. That was just, I mean, just completely. You know, the, the Niners were already kind of getting some momentum, but but when Gibbs fumbled that ball, set the 49ers with a, with a short field, quick touchdown. But like when they fumbled that ball, that's when I was like, okay, like yeah. it is the 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 train has come off the track for the Lions. When did you think the agreed the uh, yeah the same. Yeah, yeah. In their own, it was like their own thirty-five. I was like, oh, that's that's gonna be deadly. Yeah, um, but just back to the the fourth down stuff for a second. When they were down three and opted to, not, I, I realized it was a long field goal. I realized that uh, uh, the honey, the the, the money badger, uh, right, uh, Michael Badgley. I think yeah. that's like the nickname he gave himself. Uh, yeah. Definitely not automatic, but at the same time, it's like the. Uh, Tying the game right there would have like really kind of helped at least ease the crowd there a little bit. Um, and so down three, not not trying. It was a fifty would have been a fifty seven yarder. I realize yeah. that's that's pretty long, but this is kind of what you have kickers, you know, uh, for you know to you know to to make those things. Yeah. Um, and that in in real time, that's when I was like, whoa, like the they have an opportunity just to tie the game right here you know uh if 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 they ran the, the the kicker out there and he missed it like i don't think people would be like what a terrible decision to to try uh to try a field goal to tie the game right um and obviously it would have kind of left them left them in the same spot that they were and there's no guarantees that it, you know they make the they convert the fourth down there's no guarantees that they go down and score a touchdown like they could be kicking a field goal you know or or you know faced with a fourth down decision on the next set of uh um of plays, but um, yeah, the, uh, topsy turvy game. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, tickets were selling uh, back and forth all game long. Uh, during the second quarter, a Lions Super Bowl future that was originally placed for seventy five dollars at twelve to one odds sold on Prop Swap for two hundred and twenty five dollars, uh, and so those are odds of plus three thirty three um, on that on that sale again during the second quarter. Um, you know, mind you, the lines were like nine to one Sunday morning. And so uh, not even through one half of football, we were seeing Lions tickets sell at, at odds of a uh, of, of plus third, 333. And then during the third quarter, uh, we saw a bunch of PropSwap customers who had, uh, mo- most of them had purchased 49ers tickets on PropSwap earlier in the season. So a bunch of customers who had purchased 49ers tickets uh, on PropSwap we're basically abandoning ship uh, when the Lions um, – we're basically abandoning ship at halftime in the third quarter. But then when the Lions didn't convert the, the first fourth down um, of the second half that we talked about, uh, the, the drop pass by Reynolds, we saw some buyers scooping up 49ers tickets at, at deals, um, basically odds of, of plus 600 uh, on the 49ers. So, again, as we see here today, the 49ers are like a minus 118 favorite. And mm-hmm. – in the second half of, of the NFC Championship game, people were were buying up tickets at plus six hundred uh, during during the uh, the third quarter. So, um, what, what were any, any any takeaways from kind of the odds movement and, and some of these sales? Yeah, it seemed like on the in game odds, we had a customer uh, make a large Niners money line bet. They were down uh, ten, I think, at this point, or maybe even thirteen. But they were still minus money, which was like such disrespect to the Lions. Um, so, so clearly, the books, 
you know, thought that the Niners were the better team, but a lot of disrespect for, to the Lions that uh, when you're up that big, you're still a, a dog. Yeah, uh, I think I tweeted when the Lions went up 14-0, uh, or, or maybe it was, maybe it was like 21-7 or something like that. Uh, they, they, I think they, to go up 14, and they were, uh, I tweeted out that they, were, that they were minus 140 on the money line. And someone correctly was like, that's a lot of disrespect <laughs> to, to be up 14 and only be uh, minus 140. But uh, they were kind of r- uh, right. But the, the, the thing that stood out to me, at one point, the Lions were favored to win the game, but the 49ers had better Super Bowl odds. Like, uh, you know, it was, at one point, the, the, like I said, the Lions were probably at minus 150 or thereabouts to win the game. But the Super Bowl odds were like Lions plus 350, Niners plus 260 or something, something like that. So that, that was kind of odd to me because I think the, the sports books, and rightfully so, were like, let's not get too crazy with these Niners – Super Bowl uh, odds uh, in, in, in case they, they, they do come back. But, um, I mean, at halftime, the Lions were a minus 400 favorite to win the game. Uh, so I think that kind of tells you all you need to know about where that game uh, sat at halftime. And then, obviously, um, yeah, uh, largest comeback in NFC Championship history. Um, but moving on to the early game, also another great game, but definitely uh, of a different style and variety totally than yeah. – than uh, in the uh, the NFC one, uh, but um, Chiefs advance, beat the Ravens in Baltimore. Um, my one of the things I'd written down was just Casey. They get they go. They have Baltimore go three and out to start the game, get the ball and go right down the field in a bunch of plays. Go up seven zero and just took the air out of the building. I mean, so much was made during the week about you know. Obviously, again, Mahomes, not that many true road playoff games. Uh, Ed Reed and Ray Lewis were going to be like the honorary captains and just how the place was going to go crazy. But um, that Andy Reed, you know, first 15 scripted on those first couple drives just absolutely just took took over the game. And, and it was basically a wrap kind of uh, from the get-go. Completely agree. I, I Since we've started this company, I've never understood the home field advantage thing. Like, if two teams are neutral, if a team is at home, we make them a three point favorite. I don't, I've never understood that. And there's a, I've talked about this book many times. It's called score casting. It completely disproves home field advantage. Teams play exactly the same in Baltimore as they would in Kansas city. Like there is no discernible difference. Now refs make calls for the home team, but like players play exactly the same free throw percentage, completion percentage, exactly the same, whether they're home or away. So that would be point one. Point number two, and I thought that that Nance and Romo didn't do a good enough job explaining how quiet it was in the stadium. It felt dead from, like you just said, from that fir- that first Chiefs drive. It was roaring pregame, and then as soon as the Chiefs drove down and scored that touchdown to from Mahomes to Kelsey, it felt dead. Like it seemed to me, sitting on my couch in Chicago, that it was extremely quiet in that stadium, and that's that's exactly the way we talked about this all year. How do you beat the Ravens in the playoffs? Score early, score quick, and force them, force Lamar to throw the ball, and that is precisely what happened. Yeah. Um, well, just uh, back on the on the home field for a second. Yeah. Uh, I, I also I meant to say this earlier. I was completely wrong about, about both of these games. Um, I I thought the Ravens. I thought the Ravens would win, but that could be a close game. You know, Chiefs could still cover the four and a half five, but but lose the game. Uh, but then, I, and then, then I thought the Niners were going to roll 
um, the, the Lions. And one of the reasons why was because I thought the Lions had benefited from the last two games at home, the crowd helping out the defense, um, you know, the offense can't hear the snap count. It helps the defense get off the ball, you know, a better jump off the ball. So um, that was my, I, my thinking. Clearly I was wrong. I've been ice cold uh, recently on my pick. So um, you've been you hot know, the whole season. Get, That's okay. I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was seeing the board uh, magically around Christmas time, you know, New Year's time. And then uh, it's been, it's been ice cold in playoffs. So uh, luckily we're not giving out our Super Bowl picks just, just yet. But um but yeah, uh, Chiefs took the air out of the building. The Ravens, as we talked about, like the number one best rushing team in, in the league, they only ran the ball 16 times. 16 rushing attempts for the whole game, and that's including all of Lamar's uh, rushing attempts as well. That, that can't happen. Uh, KC uh, won the time, time of possession battle by 15 minutes. Uh, 15 minutes more, uh, they, they possessed the ball. And then penalties, man. Uh, Ravens were the fourth least penalized team all year long. And then they had eight for 95 in this game, including uh, a couple uh, personal fouls, you know, for, for 15 yards. But it just clearly looked like one of those things where the Chiefs had been there and the Ravens hadn't been there. And uh, the Chiefs were able to keep their composure. And, and the Ravens just, you know, they got punched in the mouth and uh, to start and didn't know how to react. Hundred percent. So yeah, total uh, running back carries. You mentioned like total rushes, but just specifically carries by a running back six. Quickly, the last you know totals for the whole week: thirty-one, seventeen, twenty-five, thirty, twenty-two, twenty-seven. I won't re- read the rest of the list, but like everything is in the twenties, and all of a sudden you get to the AFC Championship, you run it six times with running backs. Like it just it made no sense. So I think everyone's kind of on board with what the heck was Todd Munkin doing in that game. And that's the way you beat the chiefs is keep, <laughs> keep the ball out of the hands of Mahomes and keep clock management, especially at home. And they just, they didn't do it. They, they kind of lost their minds there. And I think John Harbaugh deservedly. So is usually co- coaches these teams up, but there was no question about it. Who was the better coach on keeping their team calm, cool and collected on Sunday afternoon. And that was, that was Andy Reid's team. Yeah. So one of the themes from the weekend was just, you know, comebacks and team's ability to come back and not come back. And um, there's some stat about how Lamar hasn't had like a passing attempt down, you know, like while trailing in the fourth quarter and, or whatever, or maybe just like, yeah, sure. uh, in, in, you know, in years, right. So I guess the question is, is the, have we decided that like Lamar is just not built for comebacks or playoff comebacks or, I've also seen this. I've also seen this comparison. Um, or I guess, well, one comparison is Lamar is the Joel Embiid of the NFL, where great regular season stats, MVP, um, but there is now enough playoff history with both of those two guys that that some people think that like that they're just a regular season player and they are done. You know, ever uh, counting on them to perform in the playoffs, and I think we've seen that with the 76ers, like. The Sixers could have a, one of the best records in the East. They'll, they'll still be double digits when they get to the playoffs because no one believes that they can actually make a deep run uh, to, to, to the finals. That's one thought. Or the second thought is Mahomes is the Jordan, you know, or just the new Brady, and there's going to be a bunch of AFC quarterbacks. Or there's going to be a bunch of really good AFC quarterbacks that will never reach a Super Bowl because he's just too good, you know. And it's like Jordan 
you know, did the same thing to Patrick Ewing that, you know, Mahomes could be doing to Josh Allen and, and Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I, I suppose the latter, I would just add in, in the, the AFC has so many good quarterbacks that are good passers, right? Josh Allen, Burrow, Mahomes, of course, Tua's getting up there of him and McDaniel and Tyreek can get on the same page. Like there's just so many Justin Herbert, of course, we'll see what we can do with, with Harbaugh. There's just prolific passers in the AFC. And when it comes to playoff time, they're, they're slinging. And if you get down, it's just, it's super difficult to to come back from that. And I, I realize that Todd Munkin, I, and I agree, Todd Munkin should have ran the ball more, but in someone of his defense, it's like if the other team's just going to come down and score and, 12 plays it's it's difficult so um yeah i think it's a combination of him he's choking in the playoff fact like there's no doubt he has played worse in the playoffs but it just there's so many good passers in the afc it makes his job really hard yeah um so getting back to some of the uh sales during the game i thought this one stood out uh, a customer who bet ten dollars back in july on the texas rangers to win the world series and the Ravens to win the AFC Championship. Uh, he parlayed those two things for $10. He sold it on PropSwap last week for $570. The customer who purchased it for $570 relisted it during the game on Sunday and sold it for $350 uh, with the Ravens down 17-7, but driving with the ball. The very next play was when Zay Flowers fumbled into the end zone. So wow. uh, my takeaway from that is, if if you've ever purchased a, a ticket on PropSwap, um, be active during the game listing, updating your sale price because these things can sell. And similar to the fumble in the NFC game, that fumble was the ball game. It was pretty much kind of a wrap after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, even though, so the, the customer who bought for 570 and sold it for 350, he lost 220, but... I'd rather lose two twenty than lose five seventy. Totally, selling something for three fifty is a flight to Las Vegas to the Super Bowl. So, um, beauty of secondary markets. Yeah, um, and then I don't think we can go through this podcast without just mentioning um, the customer who uh, last year placed a three hundred dollar parlay on the uh, Miami Heat to win the NBA Eastern Conference, um, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, to win the AFC Championship. And um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to pull up the, uh, the third leg. It was, uh, it was Orioles to win the AL yep. East. So yep. or- Orioles to win the AL East, Chiefs to win the AFC, and Heat to win the Eastern Conference. $300 uh, to pay out over $112,000. And we we were giving him offers during the week, um, but uh, the last message I had from him before the game was just that uh, he had made some hedge bets uh, on the Ravens money line. Uh, so you know he stood to win something no matter what. Um, but other than that, he was not going to sell. Uh, which you know, as we always say, I I was like, congrats, like that's awesome. Like sounds like it's going to be a win win either way. Um, but obviously, he was still very much rooting for the Chiefs. Chiefs win and uh, and he cashes it, but um, I just thought this was kind of a funny anecdote. Uh, so, you know, I, I as soon as the, the first game was over, we kind of rolled right into the second game. I'm always super busy during these games. I, I worked, you know, I, I, I think I texted you. I mean, I was 
uh, it was hard for me to put down my phone and, and computer uh, for any point in time during the game. So, but he texted me at like, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes into the NFC game. And he's at the sports book um, trying to cash a ticket. And he's like asking me about like the taxes on the ticket. And I'm like, and, and, you know, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to help him out there. Uh, but I just thought this would be a, a good, a good point to uh, point out to people that if you have a, uh, a paper ticket uh, that is over 301 odds, um, you may be told to, to withhold 24%, but uh, I don't want to say the sports book, but he was basically texting me because he wasn't the, the, the supervisor and managers at the sports book, I guess we're not giving him like the answers. Like no one knew the answer to these questions. Uh, and so um, I do think it's kind of funny, you know, again, and it's not just this one sports book. It just, it just rarely happens. And so people, I guess they just are not maybe trained or don't want to give the wrong answer. But um, I was like, I was like, I would, um, I'd love to help you. I'm going to help you. But like, you know, um, please I don't know, direct, direct your, try and direct your question to the sports book. But um, yeah, uh, he, so, uh, but he will get paid all, all of his money. So I was, I was happy to hear that. And, uh, and yeah, um, c- congrats to him. So taxes were not withheld as far as we're aware. Um, so taxes, taxes were withheld, um, we're, but okay. taxes were withheld. Uh, and, um, he will, he will get, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be able to, to claim those back, um, on, on his future taxes. And as, and I texted him, I was like, Make sure you you hold on to every losing slip that you make this year, um, so that you can um, report those as as losses. But um, I'm unsure if he gave him the option and, to with, with to with and, and prop saw purchases. If he buys any losers on prop saw, that's absolutely a loss. So for sure, you can write those off. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, just a, a a word uh, a word to the to the public. If you if you have a paper ticket that is over three hundred to one odds, and this like just barely was over three hundred to one, but it's over three hundred to one. Um, you can either have it withheld. I think some sports books allow you to to not have it withheld, but then um, you owe that money next year. But twenty four percent, and then you can claim that back on your on your next year's taxes. But um, yeah. I would also uh, advise you to consult a tax expert too, uh, and uh, and uh, not not you know necessarily this is not necessarily ta- tax uh, advice, but uh, I thought that was uh, interesting, and um, I'm always always uh, interested to hear like what sports books uh, you know will and won't um, kind of advice they'll, they'll give. But uh, moving forward to the Super Bowl, um, Chiefs, Forty ers uh, last time these two teams played the Super Bowl, uh, I think the the world ended uh, a few weeks yeah. later. So, hoping that does not happen this time, um, we will go deeper into the game on next week's pod. But uh, do you have any uh, early thoughts on the game? Yeah, I always think to we have of course made a lot of friends with professional sports betters over the years, and many of them tell me that these next. 13 days between the championship and the Super Bowl, you know, 14 if you start on Sunday, are the biggest time of year for them because you know, the way they explain it is, look, on an NFL Sunday, you got, say, there's no buys. You got 16 spreads and 16 over-unders. So you got 32 options to make some money, assuming no props are played. 
to beat a spread or a total one out of 32 times when the world is gambling on that game is incredibly difficult. But to beat a sports book when they have to hang for easy numbers, say a thousand different Super Bowl props, that is much easier. So these next 14 days are critical to find bad numbers at any sports book you can get your, you know, get down at to find the wrong numbers, price shop, price shop, price shop, find discrepancies and, you know, pick your, pick your spot. So I would encourage everyone start the process. Now find sports books that are starting to release Super Bowl props. They'll, they'll come out at the latest end of this week, but sports books are starting to hang some just quick. One I found scanning the board before this podcast, Chris Jones or any other defensive player that you like is 130 to one to win Super Bowl MVP. Last 10 years, a defensive player has won twice. So 20% of the time, defensive player has won MVP. And like crazy things happen all the time in the Super Bowl. Of course, that punt return by Kansas City last year that almost he scored on at the end of the game. That was massive. Jalen Hurts get fumbles. The defensive player takes to the house. You know, that 3-0 2018 Super Bowl uh, between the Rams and the Patriots at half. It was 3-0 at the half. Edelman wins MVP. I mean, crazy things happen. It's not just always going to be Mahomes or Brock Purdy. So scan the board. That's just one quick example I found. But start studying over the next week and a half here. Yeah. And the other thing I'll mention is I feel like uh, when the public goes to bet these props, they're looking for long odds always. I'm not, and look, sometimes, like you just mentioned, you know, there are some good long odds you can get, and then maybe, you know, you end up selling during the game. But uh, they, like, somehow just, like, kind of disregard every minus 110 prop, mm-hmm. you know, like every over-under receiving yards or whatever, right? Um, look, if you bet the spread, that's a minus 110. You know, like, you have no problem betting totally. the spread for a bunch of money at minus 110. Why not bet, you know? find an under on someone's receiving yards or an over uh what might you know what have you and so they don't money's money so don't don't be like oh like i'm gonna bet you know let's say i've got a uh, i'm gonna bet a five hundred dollars on the super bowl i'm gonna bet 400 of that on the winner and i'm gonna spread 100 bucks around on different props or whatever it's like look like you know find the one you like and and don't be nervous to bet an over under at minus 110 um and yeah because to your point i mean these things will move like crazy and it w- there will be giant discrepancies from from book to book, so um, definitely take take the time to to analyze and don't just bet the the first number that uh, that you see. So, um, speaking of betting numbers that we like, uh, it is that time of the show for stake or swap. Switching to a little college basketball, uh, March is just around the corner. Um, that's just another great time of year on Prop Swap. So thought it'd be time to talk a little uh, CBB. Uh, first thing we'll be talking about are the Tennessee Volunteers to win March Madness, currently 18-1 to 1 at Caesars. Uh, I will go first. I am staking Tennessee at 18-1. to 1. Um, this is compared to 16 to one at DraftKings and 14 to one at FanDuel. So you're getting some value there. Um, I have found that FanDuel is kind of a, a pretty sharp book in this regard, or at least the usually they'll have the longest odds. So the fact that you can get a number better than FanDuel, I think, is a kind of a good sign. Of this value 18 to one at Caesars. Uh, they have the 19th best adjusted offense 
and second best defense, according to Ken Palm, according to the BPI, Tennessee has played the fourth hardest schedule so far. So, you know, three of their four losses have come against Purdue, Kansas, and North Carolina, uh, all top 20 at the time of the, uh, of the game. Um, but they have wins over teams like Illinois, Ole Miss, and Alabama. And last but surely not least, my personal favorite, uh, their leading point scorer is a senior guard. Uh, and I talk about it every year. Uh, having upperclassmen guards uh, is a is a big key. So uh, I realize eighteen to one, not that long, um, you know, this far from the tournament. But at the same time, um, you know, they could be well on their way to a, to a one or a two seed. So um, I am staking Tennessee. So I did, I watched a fair amount of college basketball. Most of the uh, most seasons, I start to ramp up as soon as the Super Bowl is over. But just on like college Saturdays since the NFL doesn't run on Saturdays. I've been watching a lot of ball. Um, you, I thought you were usually not a Rick Barnes guy. So this is interesting. And I remember we talked a couple of March Madnesses ago. I, I looked into him like, yeah, he's not very good in the tournament. So I'll swap this. Um, just numbers a little bit too low. I'll, I'll tell you, man, I think I'm not going to go so far as to say there'll be as many underdogs as last year in the final four. Cause we set a record last year for three out of four teams being like 50 to one or greater. It was crazy, but I think it's going to be close. I think it will be like top seven, maybe top five, most upsets ever, AKA most long shots in the final four. So a little too chalky, 16 to one, 14 to one. If you look at fan, it was a little bit too low. So I'll swap them because of Rick Barnes. And um, because I think this will be a, a huge upset driven tournament. Yeah. Um, you're right about my, my history with, uh, with, with Rick Barnes, but um, I will say this, like I'm just, I think I'm a tad late on Tennessee because they were 22 to one earlier this month. And then, um, you know, uh, yeah, they, they were, they were 22 to one on, on January 10th. So I I realize I'm getting there a little, a little late, uh, but I just think they're, they're, they're trending, uh, in the, in the right direction. And, you know, no, no one says you can't, you can't sell this thing at, you know, six or seven to one um before or early on in the in the tournament so um moving on next team we'll talk about are the kansas jayhawks currently 30 to 1 at FanDuel. uh luke we will start with you first are you staking or swapping kansas yeah so i am going to stake kansas at 30 to 1 of course coming out of the big 12 they did just lose to iowa state on saturday it was in iowa state Tough loss on a Saturday. I would say it paid really good. I would say it's good, man. I uh, that's that's a team to watch for sure. We of course are Arizona Wildcats. I'm wearing my Wildcats shirt. We will be headed to the Big Twelve next year, and I am very nervous <laughs> to be in this conference next year. This conference is loaded for basketball, so I think Kansas can come out on top of it. They got a long way to go. They already have three conference losses, but this team's good. I'll take them coming off a loss. You know, buy low as we always say. They beat UConn. UConn's incredible. I think they can win it all again this year. It's going to be tough to repeat, but they're very good. They beat Kentucky, and then they beat Tennessee, team we just discussed. Of course, I mentioned they lost to Iowa State, but like I said, Bay 12 is just a gauntlet, so I'll stake them at 30-1. to 1. Um, I'm going to, to swap uh, Kansas. A uh, couple things here. Um, one, this is completely completely anecdotal, but I feel like those years where we're like, oh, Conference X is loaded, you know, they're gonna they're they've got so you know such good strength of schedule. They play so many good teams. I feel like that rarely translates well into the tournament. Like you know, playing eight 
really good teams in your conference doesn't exactly translate to, you know, trying to not get upset by Vermont in the first yeah. round or whatever, you know, and <laughs> Vermont shooting tired. the lights out from, from three. Um, but speaking of almost losing to mid-majors, I actually was in attendance for a Kansas basketball game um, uh, around Christmas time. They hosted Yale. Um, and first of all, Allen Fieldhouse is sick. And I would recommend to anyone who has a chance to, to attend a game there. It was about 90 degrees, it felt like, uh, mm-hmm. even though it was like 50 outside. So um, really old school stadium. And I think it's old school in terms of the HVAC system because <laughs> it was sweltering uh, in there. But um, that game was tied like with 10 minutes left to go. It was like wow. they were losing at half and it was around tie with like 10 minutes left to go. It was like a 15 half point spread. And I want to say that Kansas ended up winning by like 15. So like, you know, the, the, the pulled away at the end, but um, they just, uh, you know, I don't know. They just seemed like they were taking it seriously, but defensively they were not, they were not great. And so um, according to Ken Palm, they are 25th in defense, 23rd on offense. So the fact that they fall out of the, outside of the top 20 in both of that um, kind of leads me to, to not like them. Like I said, Tennessee, number two in defense, number 19. Uh, and so, uh, but really it's that defense number that, that kind of sticks out to me and, and what I saw with my eyes. So um, yeah. for those reasons, I'm, I'm going to swap Kansas. Yeah, I think there is something to be said about seeing teams live, probably more so in basketball than other sports. So, you know, we talked about that uh, Purdue game I went to in Indianapolis. I still, I would have swapped them again today. They're now seven to one. If I could do it, maybe I will do it as we approach tournament time. But I completely agree. If you guys, if any of our listeners can get out to a college basketball game that's local and see some relevant teams, it's cool. And I think it gives you another perspective on if they're going to make a run or not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, well, you, you scouted uh, who was the, the long shot team that you saw in person during the conference tournament that uh, you said sucked and then made it to like the Elite Eight? It's <laughs> St. Peter's. St. Peter's. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You texted me during that game of their conference tournament being like, this well, team stinks. They, and they played Kentucky. They played Kentucky in the first round. It was crazy that, that yeah. St. Peter's upset Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I, I could not, I could, I couldn't remember that, but, uh, but yeah, um, there's, there's an example of some, uh, of, of some, uh, some scouting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, all right, that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we, we will be back next week, uh, with an all Super Bowl props, uh, episode. So make sure to tune in for that, uh, subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating, and we will talk to you next week.